podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Fit, firing and ready for an unprecedented back-to-back victory. Yes, the Reds go hunting a second victory in a row this weekend. And you know what happens if you win two in a row and then perchance win a third in a row card? It's called a winning streak. No. And those are good. Those are better than losing streaks, would you believe? Would you also believe there is not a single Premier League club at the moment which is on one of said streaks? Nobody has won more than two in a row at the minute. It's a remarkable thing that the Premier League is as broken as it is this season. Normally, by this point, things are a lot more established, but it does feel like everything's very clumped at the moment. Now, last night we saw Manchester City beat Arsenal in the Premier League to go top of said league. Arsenal do have a game in hand, but they still have to travel to the Etihad to play City. They have to go to St. James's to play Newcastle. They have to go to Anfield to play Liverpool. They've got tough games ahead where City have those teams to play at home. Would make you fancy City to win the league. United will believe that they're in the mix in the title race, but nobody really thinks they are. Below them, then, it starts to get really clumped between Newcastle, Tottenham, Brighton, Fulham, Brentford, Liverpool, and Chelsea. There's 10 points separating Newcastle and Chelsea, but some teams have played 22 games, some have played 23, some, like us, have played 21. There's a lot of flux, there's a lot of uncertainty over where teams will finish, and then, obviously, At the bottom of the league, you've got Southampton on 15. You've got Crystal Palace in 12th on 25. So only 10 points separating all of those nine teams. There's an awful lot still to go on. There's nothing really all that established yet in this season's league title. And that's kind of making for an exciting season. Yeah, it really is a... A bit of a throwback, isn't it? A bit of a, a really muddled season. I mean, even if you look over the recent form guides, we're looking at like the last six Premier League matches, which is more or less sort of taking us back to um, after the World Cup sort of thing. It, it depends a little bit because, like you say, some teams have played more or fewer than others. But Brentford at the minute are the most informed club in the Premier League. Uh, they they and Newcastle are the only clubs not to have lost in that run of six games. But Newcastle's yeah. form only puts them mid-table because they've drawn so many. They've only won one out of six. So it's it's a real, a complete mix. Like Arsenal, who were top until last night, aren't even in the top half by form guide. 
Liverpool and Chelsea we know have been absolutely dismal and are still in the bottom half by the form guide but then I don't think any of the bottom the actual bottom three other than Southampton are now in the bottom three uh, by the form guide maybe Bournemouth as well actually Um, so there's so much still able to move and change on the basis of just like two three wins in a row and if you can find just that little bit of either fortune or consistency in your play or get one or two players back from injury who happen to be particularly important for the way that you play you can still go up I think maybe as many as half a dozen places in this Premier League table between now and the end of the season and like you say usually it would be too late for that kind of a climb maybe you can still go three four places up or mid-table you can shoot up a little bit more uh, towards the end of the season when everybody's sort of on holiday already but at the minute you couldn't really predict who the European teams are going to be like Brighton with the games that they've got in hand could be well 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 in the mix for like a top five six finish at least and <laughs> Liverpool and Chelsea could still get a European spot if they find some sort of form but there's no real reason to suggest that they will No exactly, I mean Liverpool Liverpool have been so so poor since returning from the World Cup I mean you look at the the games played since Aston Villa we left ourselves wide open we got a win but it could easily have ended in a draw Leicester we were outplayed at home and if not for the wonderful generosity and Christmas spirit of your favourite defender, Wood Faze. We, we may well have lost that game. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. We got hammered by Brentford, hammered by Brighton. We drew with Chelsea in a very sterile game. We got hammered by Wolves. And then we beat a really, really crap Everton team who are, I think without question, the worst team in the league. It, it just hasn't been good at all. Um, but when you, when you, I say that, and then I look at the league table and I see that we are, I look at the form guide and I see that since the World Cup, we have taken 10 points from our games, which obviously isn't great, but you referenced Arsenal. And Arsenal have only taken 14 points since the World Cup. And yet they're at the top of the league and we're in mid-table. So, you know, it is it is just so bunched. And you mentioned Newcastle's form. They have won two of their seven games since returning from the World Cup and drawn the other five. They beat Leicester 3-0. They drew 0-0 with Leeds, 0-0 with Arsenal. They beat Fulham 1-0 in a game that really should have ended in a draw because Mitrovic scored a penalty, which was disallowed because it clipped both feet. They drew 0-0 with Crystal Palace. They drew 1-1 at home with West Ham. And they drew 1-1 away with Bournemouth. They really are struggling to score goals, Carl. Now, defensively, I don't know what's gone on because... Last season, they were 
they were better under Howe defensively than they had been under Bruce, but they still overall conceded 62 goals. This season, they're on course to concede 23 goals. Now, when you were putting in your pre-season predictions for the Premier League campaign, did you have Eddie Howe morphs into Diego Simeone anywhere on your bingo card? <laughs> uh, possibly not Diego Simeone. No, I, I, I do remember that I had them to finish pretty high up, but uh, I don't think that that was going to be based on their defensive resilience overall. I mean, even in fairness, in, in his best years at his previous club, I don't think defence was what they were renowned for. No, his Bournemouth teams were really poor defensively. And that was the big concern. And, you know, you look at when he took over last season, and obviously their form did improve. And defensively, to his credit, they did improve. But they got walloped a few times. They got walloped by Leicester. They got walloped by City. They got walloped by Tottenham. They got walloped by City again. There was a couple of games where they conceded three. But there's a lot more where it's it's one or zero. Whereas under Bruce, it was two and three in pretty much every single game. But the funniest thing about this, Carl, is it's not like he's just come in. Now, I know they bought Trippier in January, but they got and Dan Byrne in January, but they were still getting walloped when they had both of those players. In the summer, what's changed from last season to this season is he's bought Nick Pope, who's a, a good goalkeeper. But you never would have thought, well, Nick Pope is the best goalkeeper in the league. But this season he has been. And they bought Sven Botman. And I keep seeing people say, William Saliba is the best centre-back in the league this year. Lisandro Martinez is the best centre-back in the league this year. This person is the best signing anyone made last summer. It's all bollocks. Because the best signing anyone made last summer in terms of how they've impacted their team and the best centre-back in the league this season by a considerable margin has been Sven Botman. That guy is unbelievably good. I agree that he's been exceptionally good. Um, I am, however, also going to point to the man next to him who I think has had his best season since... He has been excellent as well. Yeah, and, and something that I bring up quite a lot and I think is absolutely at play here at Newcastle is that their partnership has been really good. They complement each other very, very well. And maybe the one thing you say between them that they lack is a little bit of pace, but they have mitigated that by playing slightly deeper when they needed to, by Nick Pope being not the goalkeeper that we saw only on show at Burnley, but also being much more comfortable coming from, let's say, the penalty spot to the edge of his area at times. Um, just as a unit, they've been very, 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 very impressive. They're well-drilled. The midfield works extremely hard, which is not something I would say about very many teams at all this year in the Premier League. They're just, just midfield zones in general. Uh, I think that's where a lot of their success has come from. And you mentioned that they're struggling to score goals, which is absolutely right. And the reason that they're still managing to get draws is because they're not dropping off on the other side of their game. Their, their work rate, their positional play has been really good. Their draws against Newcastle and Arsenal and Palace, I think, which were all nil-nil. And, you know, you, you, we laugh a little bit about draws being frustrating and all the rest of it. But what is 
very, very frequent and old saying. If you can't win a game, make sure you don't lose it. But Newcastle are very, very good at this. They don't concede many chances. They don't concede many goals. They've still only lost the one game in the Premier League this season mm. against us in the final seconds of the match. That's the thing. They've all, Carol, they've only conceded more than one goal in a game twice. At home to City and away to us. No one else has scored two past them. And like you said, took us 98 minutes to get that sec- that second goal to beat them. Nobody else is scoring more than one goal a game. And when you can limit opposition to one goal a game at a maximum, you're going to find that you're, you don't lose games. Because even though they are struggling, they've still got a lot of attacking talent and they have enough to get a goal a game in most games. They've had six games this season where they've failed to score and they've drawn all of them. So it's not costing them defeats. It's costing them wins, but they're still picking up points and they're still moving forward. Look, they're points ahead of us and, what, five places ahead of us in the league? And they have won one match more than us. That's it. Yeah. That's the thing. You look at their league form, they have played 22, won 10, drawn 11, and lost only one. 35 goals scored. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. 13 conceded. 13 goals conceded. That is outrageous. At this point in the season. When you consider that the next best defensive record in the league is Arsenal. Who've conceded 21 goals. And all we hear about is how incredible William Saliba is. How Thomas Partey is the footballer of the year. Because of their defensive record. And the two are just sitting there chilling. Eight goals better off. Laughing at them. It's, it's absolutely insane how good they've been defensively. Now, obviously, the amount of work they're putting in defensively is having a, a negative impact on their ability to attack. But Howe has basically said his stall out that this is what we're going to be. And that is something he can build from. There is definitely upgradable players in their squad, one of whom, before this season... I think most people would have said Miguel Almiron. He's someone they can look to improve on. But he is having himself an outrageous season. He's got 10 goals. He is their top scorer this season. 10 in 22. Their next highest scorer is Callum Wilson, 
who's got seven. And after that, then it gets a bit murky. You've got Bruno Gomerich on three goals. You've got Alexander Isak on three goals. Jolington has two. Willock has two. Chris Wood got two before they shipped him out on loan to Nottingham Forest. And then there's a few with one. They are heavily reliant on Almiron to be a game breaker for them. And you've I know you've always been a fan, but he he has stepped up this season. Did you see this in his game? Did you see him having a season like this? Oh, no, 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 not at all. I mean his style of play I very, very much like. I like the aggression of him. I like how he's always very, very positive with the ball, but the level of clinical finishing, I don't think that there was any reason to expect that he would suddenly find that again. I mean, you know, playing in MLS is a very different thing, and you could always assume it would take him, let's say, a year or even 18 months to really get up to the maximum level he could produce. And if he was still producing that, what he did last season, let's say, um, I would accept that as okay. An okay signing, not as much as maybe would have been hoped for, but he would have still been all right, because he did do a good job. But two things I think very important. One that we spoke about, um, about Almiron actually, about St. Maximan as well, under Steve Bruce, they were playing like 40 yards deeper all game long. Yeah. It was like 70, 75 yards sometimes that they had to make up just to get into the attacking third, you know, alongside someone else. And if you're playing alongside, uh, or if Almiron was playing behind one striker who was not particularly mobile, let's say, uh, or not particularly good and mobile. Sometimes it was maybe Dwight Gale or someone like that for a while. It, it was very, very difficult for him to impact in terms of goal-scoring actions. Ball carrying, I think he was really good. Work rate, never been a problem. But what we are now seeing is the benefits of starting and playing closer to the goal. And even even taking that into account, I still wouldn't have expected him to get as many goals and match-winning performances altogether as he has done this season because he has been really, really consistent through, let's say, from about, what, September, October sort of time? Mm. Uh, he had a magnificent run for a little while. And I, I, I don't think it's... At 29 years of age, I probably would have expected that that kind of purple patch, let's say, even though it's now into pretty much... Uh, well over a third of a season, probably half a season, if you ignore the opening couple of matches. Um, very, very impressive. I think it's on him, but probably also on the coach and staff, maybe um, not just the areas that he's playing in, but the combinations that they're allowing him to, to get involved, which of the number eights are getting forward into certain areas as well. And probably, again, we talk about the partnerships of, of Botman and Shah, but probably Trippier behind him as well. Not always, always overlapping as much as you might expect Trippier to, um, but certainly playing a really good support role so that Amaron can start very, very wide and then dip in field when he, when he thinks it's time, obviously. Nine goals in 110 games over three and a half seasons. Ten and 22 this season. That is, that is incredible, the way he's turned things around. And uh, a big two fingers to Jack Grealish, who decided to mock him. And uh, he is now looking a much better signing for his club than you do for yours, despite your goal last night, Mr. Grealish. Um, Speaking of players who I think people were writing off at Newcastle, another who has had a remarkable transformation is Jolington. Now, he has done kind of the opposite to Almiron, whereas Almiron is now playing closer to the goal. Jolington is playing much further away from the goal. He has played at an insanely high level this season as a number eight. He's also filled in as a six 
mm-hmm. once or twice, which is just bananas when you consider Steve Bruce thought he was a big target man number nine and stood him up front like a totem pole. Um, I, I really like what I'm seeing, and, and you've mentioned partnerships. The partnership of him and Bruno Gamerish and what Bruno Gamerish has done for Jolington since arriving at the club is is one of the better stories in the Premier League this year. Jolington, go on him first, but I'm going to say this and I want your reaction. I think Bruno Gamerish is the footballer of the year right now, Carl. Um, I mean, I, I think he's definitely in the running, to be honest. I mean, Jolington... I think as an 80 he's been outstanding I think right back at the beginning of the season let's say the first two months or so um, I can't remember which podcast it was but we were talking about some of the, the best number 8s that we'd seen maybe it was as a result of Liverpool's not being particularly good at that point and we picked out Joel Linton and I think it was Alex Iwobi at that time was really performing well as well and they were you know, both of a, of a player who had been basically altered into box to boxes. Uh, for that period of the season but Joel Linton since then has played like left wing as well like when they had all three midfielders fit and available Joel Linton was still on the side but he wasn't playing through the middle and he was pushed out wide to the left wing and even so they were still getting everything out of him that you were at centre mid the ball carrying the tracking back and the winning possession he's able to come very very narrow obviously in defensive phases and again help out that block make Newcastle be even stronger even harder to break down Uh, and yet he's got the quite surprising sometimes speed over ground for the size of him um, to, to make up the counter-attacking numbers to give them an outlet down the flanks into the channels and then a little bit better as well I think in terms of his uh, not not goal scoring obviously because he's you know, probably not going to get back to that point unless he has a, an Almiron season next time out or something like that but even so his, his involvement in the final third is really really high he doesn't necessarily always make the final pass but he is involved in so many of the moves he's involved mm. in their hold up play in allowing people to run off him in a little passing field for them he's, he's a very very important part of their build up he is he is and, and he is so selfless in that that group and he will fill in wherever they need him like he, he's, he's had a game up front this season because they needed him, because Isaac and, and Wilson were out. So he went and played up front. St. Maximin is out. No problem. I'll go play left wing. You need me as an eight? Yeah, great. Number six? No problem. I wouldn't be surprised if he rocks up at centre-back at some point. Because he just seems like the type of fella who will do whatever you ask him to do. And while he may fall short in some of the technical areas... From an effort standpoint, there's nobody in the league who's giving more to their team right now than this guy. And while you know it was it was a forty million pound transfer when Newcastle signed him from Hoffenheim, and I don't think you'd look at it and say he's given them back what they paid. He, he's certainly now a positive asset rather than any kind of flop. that That's not an allegation that can be thrown at him anymore, that he's a flop. He's playing a really important role in a team that's challenging for top four and silverware. And uh, and credit to him. If, if he can keep himself on the straight and narrow, I think he's he's going to continue to be a really important player for them because he's only 26. So he still has lots and lots of runway ahead of him. And Tuner on an upward trajectory 
and he's going to make himself part of Eddie Howe's plans, even if it's as a, you know, even if he's the the twelfth or thirteenth or fourteenth man in an eighteen man group that Howe builds, or maybe the next manager if, if Howe doesn't doesn't stick around long term, he will make himself important through his versatility and his work rate. It's, it's good to see. Talk to me about Bruno Gomerish because a lot of people are talking about Odegaard. A lot are talking about Saka. De Bruyne obviously will get his his flowers. Haaland's goal scoring means he'll be in the discussion, even if the all-round play leaves an awful lot to be desired. But I look at this fella, and I don't see a better player in the Premier League. Now, De Bruyne at his best is a better player, but since he arrived just over a year ago, he has transformed Newcastle. And he is good at absolutely everything. And when... You read stories by Melissa Reddy that we could have signed him and just decided to pass on him and allowed Newcastle a free run to sign him for £40 million. It really winds me up. <laughs> I, I, this guy would transform our midfield. He, he, would, he would make us instantaneously a significantly better team. And I, like I said, I, th- I think he's the footballer of the year to this point in the season. He may not end up winning it. He probably won't end up winning it because he plays for Newcastle and not Arsenal or Man City. But I don't see anybody who's been not just better than him, but I don't see anybody who's been as good as him this season. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a a fair conversation to have. I think his consistency is one of the most important things. I think, you know, De Bruyne, you mentioned, he's always going to be in the runner because he's that good, but I don't think this has been anywhere near De Bruyne's most consistent season. Like, I think he's been a distance away from that. Um, at the start of the season De Bruyne was fantastic start of the season Gimaris was really really impactful and he was starting in a deeper position he's then played in as a as a more advanced 8 for them at times as well he is not lacking anything defensively at all when he plays as the 6 he is you know often one of the most aggressive one of the most Ooh. committed if you like one of the most just all round important players for them in terms of that uh, defensive consistency and belief and sort of foundation basically of what this team is now he is undoubtedly the most technically gifted player there but the level of effort he puts in from a defensive standpoint the amount he's willing to put himself in the way of shots and get to to opposition players first and the amount of challenges he makes is ridiculous to be quite frank um i i I wouldn't be against him. Certainly, I think he would be in the top three. I think Odegaard had a sensational first half of the season, so I do think that he has to be in an, in the running for it. Um, again, on account of the importance to, to the team that he has, just as much as his performance levels. Um, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. 
or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I think they would be the only three who I could say at the minute I really think the performances have been consistently good enough. But I do think that a lot depends still on what happens across the next, let's say, month, because obviously the decisions will be being taken by then anyway. Um, if Newcastle fall away and you know, start to fall outside the top four because they are getting too many draws or anything like that, I can understand that it doesn't go to someone like him, someone who mm. is, you know, fallen just short in the team of achieving a really, really incredible feat. And Newcastle being in top four this season would be an incredible feat, no doubt about that. Um, on the other hand, if obviously Arsenal now with what no wins in the last three, if they fade away and don't finish within you know half a dozen points or whatever of Man City for the title race, then I don't think Odegaard, for example, would be uh, realistically in the running for it anymore. But those things you only know later on after after decisions have been taken. So, like you say, at this point in time, I don't have any issue with him being one of the front runners. See, for me, I think Odegaard has been, like you said, he's had a, a, an unbelievably good season, but I do think Saka has also had an, an incredible season for Arsenal, and I do think they might split the vote there a little bit. And the other side of it is, Saka, Odegaard, De Bruyne, Haaland, they're all incredibly special with the ball. So is he. But he's far, 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 far better off the ball. He does everything in both directions at an elite level. They're all below average defensively, bar maybe Saka, who's probably about average. But Odegaard's below average defensively. De Bruyne is a, a bit of a traffic cone defensively. Haaland, when City don't have the ball, he just goes and stands in the corner or whatever it is he does, goes for a cigarette, I don't know. But... I, I just think we need to reward players who do it in all phases of the game. And for me, he's the one that stands out. But like you said, if they fall away or like even just the fact that when people talk about who the best defenders in the league have been this season, when it's very clearly been Botman and he doesn't get mentioned, I do wonder if people are even paying attention to Newcastle, you know, mm. because it's, I think it's still by many seen as a bit of a fluke. Because it is an overperformance. Like, let's be realistic. This squad is not a top four squad in the Premier League. And we talked recently about how all of last season's top four have fallen off. Us and Chelsea to a disastrous level. City and Spurs, I think, significantly, even though City will probably still go on and win the league. So it's created sort of a a weird feel to the season. And and I think some people might look at Newcastle potentially finishing in the top four as the type of fluke, like say when Leicester won the league and there's an assumption, oh, they might do it this year, but like next season they'll be eighth or ninth. Do you know? So maybe there's just not the respect level there. And to be fair, they haven't earned it yet. You have to earn that respect to be considered a a, a regular top four contender or, or whatever. Um, they do have a lot of injuries going into this game. 
Uh, Mankio is out. Gamerish is suspended, which is huge for us. Maddie Target is out. Callum Wilson is a doubt. Jamal Lachelles is a doubt. Miguel Almiron and Alan St. Maximin are both a doubt. Joe Willock is out, which is another big, big plus for us. That's two of their starting midfield gone. And Emil Kraft is out, but he wouldn't play anyway. Um, so that's a lot of injuries, Carl. It's very nice for us to play a team with significantly more injuries than us. We have no Thiago, no Diaz, no Artur, and no Ibu. But everyone else is back. Everyone else is fit for now. So that that is promising. And coming off the win over Everton, knowing we've already beaten this team once this season, there should be, I think, a little bit of confidence in the team. Yeah, there should be. I mean, if there's not, I'm not really sure what's going on during the week because it was a hard-fought opening part of the game, but a deserved win overall once we got ourselves ahead. And, you know, you can only cultivate that belief and the confidence one win at a time, basically, sometimes even just one goal or one half at a time. And, I mean, for the sake of Liverpool's season, obviously we want everything to be an upward trajectory from this point onwards. It doesn't work like that in football, but you also do get a cumulative effect, I think, especially at the beginning of these runs. If you can start, if you put an end to your your bad run, suddenly people are like, okay, fine, let's use this as a reset almost. We've heard that before this season from Liverpool earlier on in the campaign anyway. But then if you do manage to get two and three, that confidence does start to come back. You're like, oh, maybe this time we have actually turned the corner. Maybe this time we have actually... um, got over the issues that we, we had. Not all of them, maybe, but bit by bit we're improving. And we know that individually we have better players than most of the teams we're going to come up against in this in this upcoming run or anything like that. So hopefully that's what's going to happen. Now, hopefully is what I'm saying here. But I have promised in the Discord group that we will give this one minute of unrestrained magnificence, of utter irrational positivity, and not saying that it's too early or that it was only Everton. So you got 30 seconds. Go mad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So going into this game then, are you? would you go with the same 11 that played Everton? Would you make any changes? Would the return of Virgil prompt you to change the defence? Would Diogo Jota take a spot in your attack? Would you bring Naby Keita back into midfield? What would you... Would there be Would there be a, one standout change that you think has to be made? If Virgil's properly fit and properly ready to play, I'd play him instead of Joel Matip. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I th- thought Joel was improved against Everton, but I wouldn't suggest that he was good against Everton. Um, he has been poor now, Carl, for, for a year. And he's had some really, really ropey performances. The The Wolves one was an absolute shambles. Brentford was a shambles when he came on. You know, it, it just... I don't know what it is with him, whether there's a lingering injury that's there, I, I don't know. But he just has not been good at all this season. Mm. And I do think Joe Gomez with the performance he put in against Everton, I think he did enough to earn the spot next to Virgil until Ibu is back. So, yeah, I, I would bring Virgil, assuming assuming fitness, I would bring, bring Virgil back in for Joe. So that gives us Alisson in goal, Trent, Joe, Virgil, and Andy Robertson, yeah? Yeah. Right, in midfield, Jürgen went with uh, Henderson, 
Fabinho and Besetic as a three, but it was more of a two and a one where Fab and Steph played deeper and Henderson pushed on almost forming part of a front four. Would you change that? Would you go with the same midfield? I'm going to leave it the same. Okay, leave that the same. And then in attack, he went with Salah, Gakpo and Darwin. Now, I'd be inclined to leave that the same, just given how long Jota was out for. I would be concerned about giving him too much too soon in case there's any kind of reoccurrence because we obviously are going to very much need him in the run-in. So would you change the attack or would you leave it the same? I'd keep the same players, but I would play Darwin through the centre on this one. I'd be more inclined to see uh, him going up against the two brutes at the back and Mm. really leading the line as such and leaving a bit more space in the central midfield area uh, than compared to where Gakpo was dropping a little bit deeper, let's say. I think that that's an area Newcastle basically fill up and I don't think Cody would get too much time or space on the ball to take it on the turn. I think we're going to need to be exploiting the wider areas, the channels. So for Gakpo at the minute, I think if he picks up slightly deeper and goes one-on-one against Trippi, I'd fancy him a little bit more to have an impact there. Whereas Darwin, I think, can take his chances physically against those two but also if they are pushed up at any point he's got the pace to run in behind them yeah I think that's very fair I do think that's very fair so I, I would agree with that so we're we're saying one change then yeah. uh, we bring Virgil back in for Joel and then just switch the sides of the centre back so Gomez goes from left side to right side I think you're right I think that is what the team should be um now, obviously, we'll have one eye on Real Madrid, but they will have an eye on what is the most important game Newcastle have played in many's a year. They have a cup final coming up on the 26th of February. Mm. And I do think anyone that has any kind of slight knock or niggle will be left out with that in mind. Because... If Newcastle finish fifth or sixth and win a cup, I think that will do more to sell Eddie Howe and these owners to that fan base than simply finishing fourth would. I think they'll prioritise that cup. agree, and I think they should. Yeah. Yeah, when you haven't won anything of, of real consequence in the better part of, what, 70 years? Yeah. Last league title, 1927. Last FA Cup, 1955. They've never won the League Cup. And we're not going to give them any credit at all for the Intertoto Cup, the Anglo-Italian Cup, or the Intercity Fairs Cup. Um, So, yeah, 1955 is the last time they won anything of consequence. They've got to prioritise the trophy that's there in front of them. There is entire generations of their fan base that haven't seen them win anything other than a couple of second division titles, which nobody cares about. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I agree. I think I, I assume that most of those players who are doubts are actually still going to be fine and fit and play against us. But it does still leave a bit of a question as to who they play central midfield because when they let Shelby go, they didn't replace him with anybody else with... Um, Willock out and Guimaraes suspended. It's only really Longstaff and Jolinton that they've got from the senior pool 
as such who plays central midfield so I assume the uh, the young lad Anderson Elliot Anderson I think he is he plays central midfield for them at the top yeah. of the bench so maybe we'll be looking at him and then maybe Gordon comes in to start as well on the wing other than that I guess it's got to be a system change yeah, and it is possible that he will go with a system change. It is possible that he drops them into a four-four-two or something like that. Um, but I do think Anthony Gordon is likely to start for them. Elliot Anderson's a good player, and uh, I'd like to see him actually get the start against us because I just like to see where he is in his development. Uh, right, we have got to go. So let me have your prediction, and you can run out the door. I'm going for two-one to Liverpool. Oh, the tune to concede two goals mm. in injury time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Do you know what? We have to win this game. We win this game, and we have a game in hand. We're only three points behind Newcastle. I'll go one nil to Liverpool. I'll go one nil to Liverpool. I'll, I'll, I'll break their streak of not losing a game they don't score in. One nil to Liverpool. Three points for the Reds. A scruffy, scrappy game that Darwin breaks open. That's what I'll go with. Have you anything to plug before you go? Uh, there's a piece from the Arsenal Man City game on Guardiola's slightly strange decision making again uh, from last night. And if anybody hasn't read it yet, the Stefan Bastic piece is still lovely and relevant. There you go. So give those a read when you have a chance. Other than that, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.